Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Restoration Church's live stream this morning. We're here in beautiful Port Orange, Florida, just enjoying some light rain and hanging out outside so that we don't get sick and trying to stay as far away from each other as possible. But we are close in spirit. We know that nothing, nothing can divide us from Christ, and nothing in all creation can separate us uh, from each other in Christ. And so please join me as we sing our first song. The song is entitled Doxology. Amen, amen. 
Next song we'd like to play is a new one we're introducing this week. It's called The Goodness of God, and it has a very simple message. The chorus says, All my life you have been faithful, and all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. God isn't just good to us today or for a moment. Our entire lives, he's been seeking and calling. And if you're watching this live stream today, he is calling you today through his Holy Spirit, through this live stream, and through these words. And I pray that this song, through this song, you'd find some comfort. And you'd feel the peace and presence of God. Our Savior. The chorus sounds like this. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. Every breath that I am able, I will sing of the good. Sing it together. Life you have been faithful. 
life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I can take, I will see of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. Come on, sing it out. All my life you have been so, so good. Every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. I will sing of the goodness
scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 16, verses 27 and 28, and also verses 32 and 33, beginning at verse 27. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Dear God, we're so thankful for who you are. Even sitting outside right now with it raining, there is a peace that comes from worshiping you and praising you, just being in your presence, God. We know that you hear our prayers. We know that when we speak to you and we ask things of you, when we we ask to be filled with your peace and joy, we know that you hear us and we know that you're in it. We are in your presence. So God, any prayers that we have, any petitions of our heart, we just name them now before you, God. We just name them now. Any place that we're fearful, anything we're thankful for in these past weeks, we just name them to you now, Lord. We go to you with prayer and praise. We know you're Lord of heaven and earth. We know you're Lord of any sort of economic disaster, any sort of job loss, any sort of disease or sickness. St. Paul says, I know that when I am weak, I am strong. And he said that after or while going through great hardship, Lord. So we know that you can comfort us in whatever hardship we have. And we thank you for everything that you've already given us. Point our eyes to Jesus. Point our eyes and hearts to everything that we ought to be thankful for. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Restoration. Uh, my name is Wendell. I'm the leadership team, and we are here outside um, <laughs> trying to stay as dry and safe as possible. Um, this is such a time of um, transition for everybody and just trying to figure out how do you make things work. Uh, I'm reminded of a funny story I heard. Um, a parent was telling their children, you know, look around right now because when there are big world issues, you have to think about some of the most um, important things that everybody needs. So obviously all of our 
um, first responders, everybody in the medical field, and um, we are so grateful for them, but also McDonald's. So if you are looking for a future and want to know what's going to stay open um, whenever the world is in the crazy times like it is now, McDonald's might be in the future for you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, just kidding. But uh, seriously, um, I don't want to trivialize any of the, the people who are seriously working and staying time, staying out. So even if they are working at a fast food restaurant or Lowe's, um, Home Depot, obviously um, the medical field, um, we are so grateful that they are working because it is um, at some expense um, of their health and they're doing it so that business, businesses can stay open and so that we can continue to have life as much as possible. So we want to hold them up in prayer um, and continue to support them any way we can. Um, also on April 15th, um, we have our, um, oh my goodness, let me get my notes. Uh, yes, church-wide virtual, church virtual supper. Um, so we're having spaghetti. Um, if you want to make your favorite dish, you can log on. We're going to do it through Zoom, but we will do it securely. Um, and if you want that, uh, the link and the access code and the password, um, you can contact the church. We want to see everybody in. It'll be a fantastic time to see old faces. Um, not old, but just ones you haven't seen in the last few weeks. Um, and eat virtually together um, and just have community that way while we're in this time. Also, it's tax day, so if you are not sure what, when to get that done, get that going. Um, also, next Sunday is Easter, so our, uh, we are right here for Easter as well. If you um, love Easter, which we all do, it's the resurrection time of our Savior. Um, it is already upon us. I think it's been kind of shadowed by all these events, but um, we're looking forward definitely to next Sunday, celebrating Christ resurrecting, and um, be sure next Sunday to tune in, and we will have an Easter service, but also spend time with your family um, throughout the week, and just remember what Christ means to us. All right, thank you so much. Without further ado, Pastor Anthony. officially welcome you again here to Restoration Church. Let me get centered here so I can, or you can see me all properly. Um, <clears throat> I want to thank you for being with us here today. It's been an interesting morning for us. So uh, once again, I just want to point out some, some crazy things that took place today. So you, most of you know that in Florida, it hasn't rained for like five months. And we planned to begin meeting outdoors today so that we could actually, you know, oblige the uh, the recommendations from the CDC about social distancing. And so uh, we had planned this whole thing, and then it turned out that the rain got pushed up uh, to the morning hours, not the afternoon hours. And so once again, I just want to let you all know how hard uh, our team is working to keep things as fluid and consistent as possible here on, uh, on Sundays. At about 8.30, it was clear we had to call a bit of an audible. And although you cannot see it, we're in my backyard. Um, it's actually raining in front of us, and we are, as best as we can be, sort of dry and, uh, you know, put together as best as we can be for a Sunday. So if there was any issue with, like, you hearing drizzling rain, my apologies, but I hope you will appreciate the, uh, uh, maybe even the therapeutic sound of what's going on behind me. I found it kind of interesting. And I, I want to um, encourage you just sort of follow up on what Wendell said about April 15th to really consider joining us that night for a, a virtual supper. We're going to try to get the whole church together to, uh, to sit and eat together uh, with this meal that you will obviously prepare at your house and then eat in front of your computer. So super encourage you to be, uh, to be thinking about that so that we can continue the, one of the most important rhythms in the life of our church, and that is, is Christian community. So with that said, today we're going to be uh, looking at some, some Easter ideas that I want to share with you. But before we do that, I, I actually have one thing that I need to mention. So last week, after, uh, after we were done, I got a, a message from one of our congregants, and they wanted to know if I would be willing to wear a Red Sox hat when I teach. And I told this person, his initials begin with RB, you know who you are, that not even a pandemic can get a Yankee fan to wear a Red Sox hat. So I'll do whatever I can for you over these days, but please, no, no more Red Sox jokes, because that team is... Sorry. 
garbage. Thank you. You didn't hear Abe, but Abe just said it's their garbage. They are absolutely garbage. So uh, I have loved the commenting, the back and forth. Keep that stuff up, especially on Sundays right now. All of this creates interaction with us. The way we would chuckle and laugh on a Sunday together, we have this opportunity to do that in a virtual way. And today's Palm Sunday, okay? So I, uh, I want to share a bit of a story with you, an opening story, about a documentary that I watched a couple of years ago on uh, American tree logging. And most of you know I'm like a history nerd. Pretty much any kind of information that's out there, I really I really dig it. And so I watched this documentary on, on the history and the present state of tree logging, like how we get all this wood to build our houses and our fences, where it comes from, and the men and women that work in forests and cut this stuff down, and the sustainable portion of it. It was really a fascinating uh, documentary. And one of the things that I was sort of most impressed with was the equipment they used. I mean, these are like mega, mega machines to move around what are sometimes two-ton trees when they cut them down. They have to get this stuff moved all around this job site. And so the piece of equipment that I found most fascinating was called the skyline. And simply put, a skyline is a, it's a piece of equipment that takes a tree that has been cut down from one side of a logging site. And remember, these sites can be massive. And it actually has the ability to move it all the way to the place where they process it on the other side of the site to be able to get it out into the market. And so a skyline is literally just one heavy steel cable. And what happens is, is they, they tie this cable to a tree, a very, a, a very substantial tree, but not substantial in the way that I thought it was. Um, I would have assumed, because I'm not in the logging industry, that what you would do is you'd find the biggest tree around and, and tie it to that tree, because that signified that it had strength. But that's actually not true when it comes to, uh, to trees. Sometimes trees can be very big and sort of voluminous from what we see, but their root systems below are weak. And so what they do is they have a method to determine not the size of the tree, but how strong the root systems are. And they find the trees with the strongest roots, and they tie this steel cable to that tree, and then on the other end of the site they have a, I can only describe it as a machine that looks like a tank, and it motorizes the movement of this cable so that these massive logs can be drugged across this site. Now, the reason that tree is able to withstand the extreme force of the, the pressure of all that weight and movement, like I said a moment ago, isn't necessarily because it's aesthetically the biggest tree. It's actually because of something that we can't see with the naked eye, the incredibly strong and hidden root system below the tree. And I, I learned that trees, trees are interesting. We have several of them. I'm looking at them right now in my backyard. What I learned is that just because a tree looks healthy on the outside doesn't necessarily mean that it's healthy on, uh, sort of in the root system. And this is where the true strength of a tree is. It's found in everything going on in the earth underneath it. And so today is Palm Sunday, all right? The day when we historically remember Jesus' celebrated entry into Jerusalem. You know, the story, as we know, it starts out pretty, pretty exciting. He's sort of welcomed as a, as a hero, as a king. But within the course of this week, because of of who Jesus is and what God sent him to the earth to do, he wound up dying for the sins of the world. So he, he enters Jerusalem, a celebrated hero, and, and exit, exits Jerusalem on, on the cross. And during this pretty bizarre season of life that we've been going through, I, I thought it very fitting at a time when we are physically scattered to think about this idea this week. Jesus' celebrated entry into Jerusalem ends in his crucifixion. And the significance of this is really important right now. I think perhaps now more than ever, Easter has significance in the lives of those who are following Jesus. Because in a very real way, and I'm going to mention this next week too, we are probably going to have more of a feel for what Easter really was like in the first century world than the way we understand it in the modern church today. You know, it's, it's highly celebratory. A lot of churches do a lot of production, and they make a big sort of deal out of it, and we, we should, because the resurrection of Christ is pretty substantial. It's the foundation of our faith. However, if you look at what's going on in the first century world, the disciples are not having big church services at this time. They're actually running for their lives. Things are very disrupted. What Jesus is doing and about to do on the cross creates a pandemic, if you will, of its own sort. The disciples are being hunted because uh, the Pharisees, the, the legalities of the day, 
feel like they are revolting against the rule of law. Jesus is arrested, and he is going on some mock trial, and then eventually he's put on the cross and he dies. And so it's kind of interesting that at a time when our lives are really disrupted, that we look at the Easter story from, from that angle. We often neglect that angle, that we celebrate it today, but there was a lot of confusion and chaos going on in the actual text that we read about the Easter story. And so today we're going to turn to the actions and the words of Jesus, of Jesus and his disciples in the, the Gospel of John. It's no secret this is my favorite book in the entire Bible uh, for a number of reasons. But this section we're going to look at today is probably my favorite section in the whole Gospel of John. Because here Jesus' words are sort of like that incredibly strong root system that I mentioned to you all a moment ago. The re recorded words we have, his truth in the Bible... These are the words that Jesus offers his disciples on the night before his arrest and just before his impending crucifixion. So everybody's lives are out of sorts in the story that we're reading now from John. And naturally, the disciples, because they are, are being hunted for their lives, they are experiencing what is probably, at least at this point in their lives, the greatest trial they've ever dealt with. And this sentiment is pretty prevalent in our world right now. Most of us have been through all kinds of trials and disruptions on Earth, but this is one of the few times where we as a, as a planet are really living in a disrupted rhythm. The way the, the COVID virus has sort of changed our, every, every aspect of our lives, it's disrupted every rhythm of normalcy we have. It's really important that we know that even, even something as serious as what we're dealing with now, this illness, there's a teaching in the scripture that can give us hope and encouragement on how we can be rooted and anchored in a time like this. And so in this moment, this moment of trial with Jesus' disciples, their world has been turned upside down. And Jesus is speaking to them, trying to encourage them, trying to sort of give them a, a shoulder to rest on. He's, he's pouring into them and letting them know that the kingdom of God, no matter what is going on around us, still, still moves forward. He tells them explicitly there are going to be times when they face real trials in life, real troubles in the world, much like the ones we're dealing with today. And to deal with those troubles, he gives his followers what we like to call a gospel promise. And a gospel promise simply is it's a word of truth given to somebody, in this case the disciples and us, that is unassailable by the circumstances of the world. And it's unassailable because Jesus has said it. In other words, his truth is so authoritative. It is so important that we understand it that it can transcend any circumstance going on in our life. And that's what I want to talk about today. Because Jesus promises his, his disciples an uncommon peace, an, an almost unnatural joy during a very difficult time of their life. And this finds its origin in this promise that Jesus gives us in John chapter 16. It's important that we think about it this week and certainly next week as the Christian community especially begins to dial their minds and their hearts onto what Jesus has done for us so that we could be not just redeemed before God, but to, to be in a, in a right and, and proper relationship with Him. This is the week that Jesus gives the world the opportunity to consider whether or not they want to become a son or a daughter of the living God. And so remember, Jesus makes this promise of, of peace, of joy, of hope, while the disciples are struggling. They're, they're not having a big church service right now. They're, they're sort of hiding in a room, the upper room, worrying when they might be caught and arrested for, because of their professed love for Jesus Christ. And what I love about this text is Jesus is not even speaking about this from a strictly theological or academic way. In other words, we can, we can take teachings like this and just reduce them to, uh, to truths in the Bible. And by reduce, I simply mean we, we don't actually get the application side of this. Because Jesus is not just talking about trial and persecution to his disciples. He is literally speaking these words as he's experiencing it. He is fully aware of what his future holds. He's talking to his disciples on the night before he knows he's going to go to the cross. The impending reality of the crucifixion is in his mind as he speaks these words of comfort and encouragement and hope to his disciples. And so Jesus doesn't just tell us about tough times. Jesus is literally enduring those times with his people. And make no mistake about it, any hardship, anything we celebrate in life, one of the great promises of the gospel is that Jesus does this with us. So even if you feel alone right now, you are not alone. The power and the presence of Jesus, his love and affection for you is with you because of the, the very thing we celebrate this week, Easter. And this leads me to the only idea, it's one sort of big truth I want to share with you this morning. And it is a truth that is about experience. 
I don't just want to talk to you about peace and hope. I want you to hear from John how we can experience peace and hope. And what we learn from this text is a lot of things, but the one main idea I want to drive into is this. Experiencing Jesus' peace in any life trial is rooted in knowing how much you matter to God. Anything that is going on in our lives, the, the way we can endure it, and by endure I don't even mean happily. Sometimes we have, to, we have to suffer. We have to endure the trials and the troubles of life. The way that we can be sustained during times like that, during times like this, is by recognizing that no matter what is going on around us, the love and the care and the affection that God has for us is not affected by these circumstances. And I'll read to you where this idea comes from. Uh, Abe, our worship leader, shared two, two texts with you this morning. There's one we're going to really dial into today. John chapter 16, it's verses 27 and 33. I want to combine them here. And we hear this from the Bible. The Father, speaking of God, himself loves you because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. These are words he's giving to his followers. And he goes on to say, Jesus, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And then he says what we all know right now. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. He is present with them. He is fully acknowledging the situation going on in their lives. He is affirming the fact that they are dealing with trouble. And then promises them that they can be hopeful in this time, because he has the capability of overcoming the very troubles of the world that seek to derail us from his peace and joy. So simply put, what we learn here is that we will never find true peace in this life until we believe this truth in our hearts. Because peace in the way we understand it in the circumstantial way can be very fleeting. It's the kind of thing that you can have one day and then completely lose the next. And so the, the peace of this promise that we're observing here is an important one. It's the root of what Jesus says to his disciples in verse 33. Think about that analogy I just gave you. What is it that allows that, that tree to sustain all of that weight, the pressure of moving those massive logs across a log site? It is the hidden root system. For us, this would mean that it's the internal way that our hearts have anchored themselves in the promises of Jesus. And Jesus' disciples are falling on really hard times right now. And it's on the eve of these hard times that he leaves them with these words. He says, everything I've taught you, everything I have given you, everything I have shown you, every word I have shared with you, every miracle I've done, every heart that I have healed, every person I've come in contact with, all of this has happened so that you would believe that my Father loves you. Every single thing that Jesus did was done so that we would get a glimpse of our Father in heaven, so that we could understand the love and the care and the grace physically through the person of Jesus that God has for us. And this teaching is truly about finding God's peace and joy. And in order to find peace and joy, it's really important that we have a, a proper understanding of what Jesus means by peace and joy. Because in our culture today, these words, while they certainly can they can be minimized to, to some form of emotional reaction. I'm not saying that joy and peace can't sort of express itself in that way. I'm just saying that the type of joy and peace that Jesus talks about here is much deeper than just emotion. It's actually the ability for our hearts, the control center of our lives, to be sort of rooted and stable in any circumstance in life. And that's why rather than giving you some theological definition of what joy is, I, I would almost prefer to give you a, a word picture. Think of it this way. Instead of a literal definition, imagine a, a large ocean. And this is not hard for us to do because most of us live just a couple of minutes away uh, from the Atlantic. And you can, you know, sit on the beach and look at the Atlantic, and the Atlantic expands far beyond what your eyes can see. Think of a, of a major ocean like that, and think about one day you, you sailing on it. Think about you being the captain of a boat. And although you have the general understanding of the weather patterns, you, you see when the wind and the rain are going to come in, the sea is predictable only to a certain degree. This is why we see boat wrecks and boat accidents. We, we know a lot about the, the troubles of the seas, how quickly they can be turned up. But if you find yourself in the middle of one of those circumstances, it can be pretty frightening. Um, when I was in my early teens, I actually was caught offshore up north and a, a, a fairly serious storm, I thought, anyway, six to seven foot waves, which for some of you hardened sailors are going to think is nothing. But for me, it, it literally laid me up, and I was seasick for two, uh, two full days. It was one of the worst experiences I have in my life. And it began with this sort of tranquil 
beginning. We were you know, driving this boat out to go fishing, and then the next thing you know, that, that peaceful, calm ocean became pretty violent. And this is sort of what life is like at times. Let's think about this. We sort of know, in a general way, troubles and trials can be in front of us. We sort of understand that these things can happen in life, but they're not entirely predictable when they do happen. It's sort of like one day you're sunbathing on the deck of a boat in a beautiful ocean in tranquil waters, and the next day uh, st uh, the storm clouds roll in. Something changes dramatically, and you realize that in a very real way you might be at the mercy of the raging ocean. And maybe you are prepared to a certain degree for that trouble or that trial, but nobody can be fully prepared for it. And so this is a really solid metaphor for how life is for us. One day everything can be do going great, like we don't have a problem in the world. But then the next day it's, it's not so great. You think about the disciples. They were doing these incredible things with Jesus. They were watching him heal people and love people and care for people. There was a, a true sort of mountaintop to this journey. But that mountaintop very quickly became a valley when the local officials in Jesus' day had enough of Jesus. And they set their hearts on killing him. The next day for the disciples was not so great than the one that they experienced before. And sometimes we don't even have days when it comes to this type of trial. Sometimes moments change uh, the direction of our lives. Like you go to the doctor for a routine check-in and you, uh, you find out that something is not routine about your health. Or you pick up the phone expecting to talk to somebody and you find out that somebody you really care about has, has passed away. Sometimes life can be that quick in the way that we transition from from gentle waters to, to, to violent seas. And let's zero this out here for a moment. Let's sort of put this in perspective of the current situation we're dealing with as we're all, you know, now stay-at-home orders in, uh, in our homes. We saw, think about the last 12 years in America alone. I'm just going to isolate this to, to our country. In 2008, we saw a global recession where the economy collapsed. And although I, the, the coronavirus is sort of dominating the news today, Think about the diseases that had the potential of becoming, and in some ways did, in small ways, have pandemic-like status. Over the past 10 years, we've seen, I'm just going to name a handful of them, we've seen H1N1, we've seen MERS. Four years ago, we were all talking about this disease called Ebola that had began in West Africa and was beginning to migrate around the world. Lots of things that had the ability to disrupt life, and in many parts of the world, did. And it's kind of ironic to me that um, especially as Americans, our, our memory with stuff like this can be so short-lived that we forget. It's sort of like those things are serious moments in our lives, but as soon as the oceans settle, we, we forget about that stuff. But what is problematic about this, not sort of seeing life from the trajectory of understanding our history and how God has worked in our lives in the past, not, not just our past, but the past of his church, is that if we were not directly affected by some of the things I mentioned a moment ago, uh, what happens is we can very easily forget to be empathetic for those who are still dealing with the lingering effects of those world problems. Maybe the economic recession 12 years ago didn't hit you. It, oh, you, you know, you kind of got through it without any major issues. Or maybe right now you're not one of the 6.6 .6 million people who have applied for, for unemployment. There are lots of troubling stories going on in our world today. And it's very easy for us to, to view those things from afar without actually having the kind of mercy and compassion that Jesus shows us during those times on others. And I was greatly encouraged to hear from several of you last week about how you took to heart what I talked about from Luke 15, and you really used those opportunities to bless and to serve your neighbor. And so every one of us has to be careful about what we put our ultimate hope, our ultimate trust, our ultimate peace in. You know, we live in a world where we, we value words like job security or, or life security. And then all of a sudden you're laid off one day. Or uh, secure investments, particularly now if you look at the volatility of the stock market, we see that what we think are secure investments might not necessarily be, at least for this day, as secure as we thought they might be. All examples of gentle, gentle waters, the calm seas of life, within four weeks completely becoming rough seas. Now, sometimes the troubles of life, and this is probably where we're going to find ourselves in most days, not in this season, but in most days. Sometimes the troubles of life are far less sensational than global pandemics, than some of the examples that I just gave you. But they are no less a threat to our personal peace and joy. And I'll give you a, a 
a personal example of this. I distinctly remember this happening when my, my son was five years old. My son is now bigger than me in every way, just about. I tell you, I have an insecurity complex with him. He's about two inches taller than me. Until he outgrew me, his one goal in life, I'm not joking when I say this, his one goal in life was to be taller than me. And God has granted him that favor. I'm like 5'9 when the sun hits me right on a perfect day. And he is pushing six foot now. And so it's been amazing watching my tiny son, who we celebrated his birthday last week, you know, grow into adolescence. And you can start to see the beginnings of early manhood in him. And so I have all these memories with him of him being a, a young child. And the one that most vividly stands out, in my mind at least, about what we're talking about today was a conversation I overheard him having. He was just about five years old in kindergarten. He was having with my wife. And I had walked into our kitchen in the middle of a situation that was clearly distressed. He was worried about something. Uh, something had troubled his heart, and I didn't know what it was. And I, I kind of got in the middle of that and tried to understand what was going on. And I found out that what was happening was uh, my, my wife, this was during the month of February, uh, had packed in his little lunchbox a, a pack of leftover Valentine's Day candies. This was right around the 14th of February. And these candies were uh, Care Bear gummy treats, like little cute, you know, affectionate, purple and, and pink Care Bears. And this might seem silly to you and I that we would uh, maybe sort of lose our bearing in life because of this small pack of candy. But keep this in mind, for a five-year-old boy, this was sort of his version of economic collapse. And what the problem was is he, he was worried that he was going to get made fun of because he had this cute little dainty package of candy in his, from his peers in the classroom. And the first thought I had as a father was uh, like sort of righteous anger. Like whenever you see a, your child suffering or their heart hurting, like uh, at least for me, my initial response is to want to make it right. And so I, I was thinking to myself like, I'm going to take them to school and beat up all the kindergartners. Like I'm going to find them and actually make this situation right. And then I got to thinking like that, that's not cool because you lose all street cred with that, with kindergartners especially. So I thought I'll, I'll save that option for sixth graders because they're much tougher and they like ride bikes. They're hardcore. Like I could not fix this the way that I wanted to fix this. There was no physical way to stop this emotion from happening or the reality of him possibly being made fun of when he went to school. And so... I, I had to think very deeply about how you can bring peace to somebody's heart when there's no physical ability for you to stop what's going on uh, in, in their life. Meaning, like, look at the world today. We can't stop what's happening. We have to figure out how to find Christ's joy, which is not hidden from us in the middle of it. So there were many ways that I could have helped my son or counseled my son or spoken to my son uh, about how to experience peace again, but there was really only one right way according to the truth of what we're reading today, this promise in John. There's a right way, according to Jesus, to, to shepherd our hearts back to the enduring peace he's promised us during difficult times. And living gospel-centered lives, trusting in the promises of Jesus, like I said a moment ago, this is the way that we do this. We have to, whenever we are confronted with a lie, a lie meaning like somebody's going to take my life value away or at least attempt to undermine the value that I have before God because of a pack of candy or whatever other thing is going on, whatever, whatever, the, whatever the, uh, the matter in life is that seeks to, to tell us something about ourselves that is not true. In other words, we face these lies in life. To, to face those lies, what we have to have is truth. In other words, we've got to have Jesus' truth in our minds and our hearts to be able to combat these lies. And that is why learning to identify surface-level issues of what we're struggling with is important. Because I could have, and, and a lot of times in life we do, we could have just said, hey, we're just not going to put that candy in your box. That's a surface-level issue. It, it removes the candy, removes the circumstance, but it doesn't address the heart, the root of the heart of why Somebody could have an insecurity like that. A lot of times we want to fix symptoms in our lives. But if you talk to any medical professional, symptoms are looked at to be able to get to the root of what is actually go going wrong, what the root of the illness is. And there's a spiritual parallel here when it comes to how we understand and find peace. In order to endure, in order to experience Jesus' promised peace, we really need to know what it is that is robbing us of that. And in my son's case, and I've done this too, and you've probably done this, there, there are times where we trade Christ's peace for something 
that we think is going to sustain us in a way that only Jesus can. Here, if you think about it, the hope was in the pack of candy. The candy is what's defining life circumstances right now. And so on the surface level, this situation might have seemed like a silly grade school concern, but it really does reveal a much more significant heart attitude that we are all subjected to all throughout our lives. And it is what we find our root identity in. In that instance, um, my son cared about what somebody was going to say about him in this pack of candy more than what Jesus just said to us in John. I have times in my life when, uh, when my spirit is sort of deflated and down where I have to remind myself of the words that we're talking about right here, that Jesus is saying, listen, everything I've done is so that you can know that my Father in Heaven loves you. And what's beautiful about a text like this is that it shows us a real-world example in the middle of the week that we as Christians, it's equivalent this Holy Week to, to Christmas. These are two big waypoints in the life of the Christian church. The disciples are completely robbed of their joy. All of these beautiful promises Christ has made them, they're, they're not experiencing them right now. They are far from them, hiding in an upper room, wondering whether or not they are going to be arrested. And the truth with this is that there are lots of ways we can counsel situations like this. Even, even the way we speak to our own hearts. You know, think about what's going on in the world today. We can tell people, and I've seen people say this, like, oh, you know, don't worry about what's going on today. Uh, we'll, we'll get through this, no, no problem. Uh, this crisis will pass. That's true. This crisis will pass. But that is not necessarily a word of hope if you are sort of emotionally irrational. If you're at a place now where this is causing great fear in your life, while, while the truth of this too will pass one day is very true, it doesn't necessarily give your heart any hope in, in the moment. Or we could go the, the bravado route. Like, think about this. I could have said to my son, you know, toughen up. Right? Just deal with it. Life, life is hard. Jesus said this in John 16. Like, troubles and trials are going are gonna to come. You should be thankful that you have food on your table. All of these ideas. We can tell people, well, be thankful we live in a country where you have health insurance. All of these bravado ideas that are floating around out there. Some of them have some truth to them, but they're not the things that we should want to hang the, the, our hearts on. Because there is great suffering going on in our world right now. And we probably all know somebody right now that has been affected by this. You might even be the person who's been affected by this. And so these sort of promises of bravado, while they might sound good in the moment, these are not mechanisms that give us the ability to, to truly sustain joy in a difficult circumstance. They, they are like, they're just treacherous gods to place your hope in. Because there are situations in life that we cannot be tough enough to get through. There are situations in life when we really do feel emotionally defeated and we realize we need something beside ourselves to, to process this and to get through this. And that's why when we endure trials, my, my encouragement to you today, no matter what it is, no matter how big or small it might be deemed by the people around us, if a trial is, is plaguing your heart right now, our goal should be to apply Christ's gospel promise of peace and joy to our lives. And to even be honest, you, if you've been a believer for some time, you have likely heard this teaching from John 16. So maybe you're here and you're saying, like, I've read John 16, like, this week, multiple times, but my heart's just not there yet. That, that's actually okay. This is the place where you begin to, to let, like Abe said during our time of worship, to let the the power of God be perfected in the places of our lives where we are weak. It is okay to be a little worried about what is going on in the world right now. It is absolutely okay. I mean, we're out in my backyard trying to keep all this electronic equipment from getting hit by the rain because we're trying to really listen to what our government uh, officials are telling us. It's, it is right to be thinking about what is going on in the world today. But it is not true. We don't, not, we don't want to get to the place where we let the circumstances of life rob us of the rooted hope we can have in Jesus. And so in the story that I shared with you a moment ago, there's a circumstance that robs the joy from a person's heart. And that is exactly how we have to, to get before God. We've got to ask God not to speak to the symptoms of our lives. If we are afraid of something right now or struggling with something right now, we have to get to the place where we, we ask God to speak to the truth of what is really robbing our peace. So when you see unemployment rates skyrocket, this creates other fears. 
right? Losing a job is a symptom of deeper issues. It's, it's the reality of our life being out of control at times. It's the reality in humanity when we live in a world when, when the seas have been tranquil for some, tranquil, excuse me, for some time, we are reminded that the seas can change almost within, within moments. And for a lot of people, what, what is happening right now in our world is reminding us that there are truly circumstances that we cannot control. And this is why we have to be the types of people who look to a God who promises control. And by that I simply mean God has not promised that our circumstances in life will always be peaceful. That's the literal point of this text. But he has promised that he will never leave, never forsake us, never deny us, never hide from us his hope, his joy, or his peace. No matter what goes on around us, this is fully available to us. And so the question becomes, if you are without that hope right now, if you are without that peace, it is not because God is hiding it from you or withholding it from you. It is because something is damming up the well of your heart from receiving it and experiencing it. And this is how I sort of want to leave you today. This week, I want you to think about wherever, wherever you face a, a life attitude that is contrary to the peace and the hope and the joy and the promise that, of the gospel that Jesus speaks about here. You have to ask yourself, if you truly love Jesus, who has the final say? Who has the final word in your life? Do the circumstances around you dictate ultimately what your life is and becomes? Or do you trust in the fact that our hope was never ever meant to be placed in the circumstances of life? We were never meant to give those circumstances the ultimate voice in our life. We were meant to give the grace of Jesus that voice in our life. The, the love and the affection and the, the care that Christ has for us. So whatever is robbing you of joy, or maybe you are joyful right now, but you're ministering to people that are, that are struggling with this. Remember, the promise Jesus gives us here about the fact that our Heavenly Father loves us no matter what go, is going on. The fact that He says, you, you are my child, and I love you no, no matter what. Nothing can separate us from Him when we are in Jesus. Not even death. Death is just a transition to a, to a new way of experiencing Jesus when we are permanently with him in heaven. All of these things, all of these promises, and I'm sharing one from a big fat book called the Bible this morning. Just one. There are thousands of them. All of these things are the places we should ask God to help us anchor our hearts in over these next weeks, months, or whatever they are. And so, while I'm not at all discouraging you from exercising wisdom, from, from having a sound mind, like we talked about a few weeks ago from 2 Timothy, over these days, we need, to, we need to exercise extreme prudence and cautious and wisdom as we navigate this scenario with the COVID virus. We do need to be listening to what the authorities have, have said to us that, that matter so that we can keep each other and the most vulnerable uh, amongst us safe. We want to apply wisdom in these circumstances. But we don't want to let these circumstances be what we worship at, the altar of. We want to let the God of these circumstances be whom we look to during these times. Because it is only in Jesus that we can truly have the type of stability that is promised in crazy times. And the disciples are not hearing about this. The disciples are literally having to learn how to apply this as crazy times are happening in their lives. And so I leave you today with this quote. If you've been at Restoration for any amount of time, I've, I've shared this probably five times with you over the course of our 10-year history. But this is a, uh, it's a quote about peace and how we experience it from a New Testament scholar named Gary Burge. And it's, a, it's not only a, a description of peace, but it sort of gives us some form of an evidence of whether or not we have peace in our lives. And I'll read it to you two times. Here's what he says about peace. He says, It is essential that we keep in mind that peace and trouble in life do not negate one another. The peace of Jesus is a condition of the heart that takes the uncertainties and struggles of this world seriously. But like a seagull riding the surface of a turbulent sea is able to climb swells and drop into valleys without being ruined by worry. I want to read that one more time. It is essential that we keep in mind that peace and trouble in life do not negate one another. Oftentimes they go hand in hand. We're seeing that right now. The peace of Jesus is a condition of the heart that takes the uncertainties and struggles of this world seriously. But like a seagull riding the surface of a turbulent sea is able to climb swells and drop into valleys without being ruined by worry. This doesn't mean that you won't worry. 
This doesn't mean that you won't struggle. It just means that you are able to navigate the worries of lives because you are of life because you are anchored to something much more stable than the circumstances of life. And true peace like that can only be found when you know your ultimate value and worth in this life. And I would say, from the Christian perspective, we believe the way you can know your ultimate worth and value in life is to listen to what Jesus has said about you. And in this text, what Jesus tells us is that his ultimate desire for us on earth is that we would look at what he has done for us and what he did for us on the cross and what we'll celebrate next week. And we will remember that these are absolute, concrete, resolute ways that God has declared his love for the people of this world and that we would look to that love and find hope. And that is the type of power that can endure hardship because it is a power that comes directly from the heavens. And so today, whatever you have started our morning believing in, I pray that this truth from John would be what drives the affections of your heart and the thoughts of your mind. I pray that you would find rest this week. If you are without Jesus, if maybe you're saying, like, I've never experienced the, uh, the peace of Christ, or, you know, I've known Jesus a long time, but I just really feel like I've been without it for some time, please know that we as a church, although we're not physically together, we are here to support you in your journey or on your journey with Jesus. So if you have questions about what we've discussed this morning, or objections, or there are places where you really could be supported, please do not end this time this morning without letting us know that. You can call our office, email our office, you can private message our office. We will do our best to follow up with you this week and, and really try to get you to the place where Jesus is leading you. What we want to have over these next days is, is a confidence and hope in Christ. We do not want to be ruled by the circumstances of our world. We want to rest in the fact that we have a loving and benevolent God who has promised to sustain us through them. And so ask yourself this morning, when it comes to the peace of Jesus, when it comes to the hope of Jesus, when it comes to the troubles in this world that we're all seeing right now, ask yourself, what is Jesus truly saying to your heart? And what is it that you will do about it? Develop in your mind an, an action plan for this week and how you can ask God to make this truth a practical reality in your life. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for this time that we've had in teaching. And I do pray, Lord, that we would never forget, especially in passages like this, that your, your son is not speaking at the disciples about trouble and worry. Your son is speaking with the disciples as he is enduring troubles and dealing with worry. I mean, we know how stressed Jesus got just before he went to the cross. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane that, that this pathway that was laid before him could be removed. But we know that that was not the plan for his life. And we know that because of Jesus' love for his Father and his care for us, that he went to that cross for our sin. And so I pray, Lord, that, that nothing but the love and the truth and the grace of Jesus would be what sits on the crown of our hearts this week. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. A couple of parting words with you before, uh, before we leave here, because this would be the time on our Sunday gathering where we would create a, a place of response, where our band would play some contemplative music for you to think about the things we've spoken about. And so I do encourage you to, to think about peace and joy and hope and to ask yourself if you truly have it. And let us know if you are without it. This is also the time on Sundays when we receive our, our gifts and our offerings. And I want to thank you, Restoration, for your continued fidelity to support the mission and the ministry uh, of our church. I want to encourage you to keep that up, especially as we are likely to see benevolence needs increase amongst our community and even amongst our neighbors. The way that you can continue to, to present your tithes and offerings to us can all be found online. All that information is there. And for those of you that are accustomed to uh, putting checks in our offertory towers on Sunday, you can mail those into our office. All that information can be found right on our uh, website. And I want to encourage you in the same way I have every week to remember that uh, generosity doesn't exclude the world you live in. Meaning that while we are faithful to support what we are doing as a church family, we have to remember that there will likely be spontaneous opportunities for you to be generous with your neighbors or the people that are in your natural spheres of influence. So, so don't forget that this is a wonderful time that we have to be the light and the life of Christ no matter where we go, no matter what is happening. Uh, that promise that Jesus made his disciples is true for us and it's true for every single person that you speak it to. Remember, where you go, the grace and the truth of Jesus goes. And I pray that you would recognize that, um, that you are the light and life of his kingdom and that you would take that serious this week. I would encourage you to stay safe, to stay well. Remember, uh, I don't mean this to be funny. I mean it to be very serious. 
put your trust and your hope in God. But listen to the recommendations of the officials that have been placed over us that are speaking to us about the scientific guidelines for how we can best mitigate what is going on. And remember that what is going on in no shape, way, form, or fashion is meant to rob you from the peace, the joy that Jesus has offered us in this passage today. Next week is Easter Sunday. I hope that I will see you all here. We'll be doing the same thing that we have been doing each week, and we'll bring to you another time of worship and teaching as we celebrate at a time when we are all scattered the Easter story. And I really want to encourage you to tune in next week because I have a, a, a very real feeling that we are going to experience Easter next week in the way that the people that experienced Easter in the first century world did. They were scattered two sheets to the wind, some of them running for their lives, people confused about what had just happened, hearing rumors about a dead man that, that came out of a tomb. In many ways, I believe that next Sunday will probably be the, the most clear and real picture of, of Easter experientially that we'll have in the modern church, at least in our lifetimes. So join us next week. This week as you go, remember, you are loved and valued by Jesus. And as you go, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father in heaven, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. Stay safe. Amen.